shedding no tears, altering in very little the habits of life, still spending money because it was good for others that it should be spent, and only speaking of his son when it was necessary for him to allude to those altered arrangements as to the family property which it was necessary that he should make. But still he was a changed man, as those perceived who watched him closest. Cloudsdale the butler knew well in what he was changed, as did old Hesketh the groom and Gillsby the gamekeeper. He'd never been given to much talk, but was now more silent than of yore. Of horses, dogs, and game there was no longer any mention whatever made by the baronet. He was still constant with Mr. Lanesby, the steward, because it was his duty to know everything that was done on the property. But even Mr. Lanesby would acknowledge that, as to actual improvements, the commencement of new work and the hope of future returns, the baronet was not at all the man he had been. How was it possible that he should be the man he had been when his life was so nearly gone, and that other life had gone also, which was to have been the renewal and continuation of his own? When the blow fell, it became Sir Harry's imperative duty to make up his mind what he would do with his property. As regarded the two estates, they were now absolutely every acre of them at his own disposal. He had one child left him, a daughter, in whom it is hoped the reader may be induced to take some interest, and with her to feel some sympathy— for she will be the person with whom the details of this little story must most be concerned. And he had a male heir, who must needs inherit the title of the family, one George Hotspur, not a nephew, for Sir Harry had never had a brother, but the son of a first cousin who had not himself been much esteemed at Humblethwaite. Now Sir Harry was a man who, in such a condition as this in which he was now placed, would mainly be guided by his ideas of duty. For a month or two he said not a word to anyone, not even to his own lawyer, though he himself had made a will, a temporary will, duly witnessed by Mr. Lanesby and another, so that the ownership of the property should not be adjusted simply by the chance discretion of law in the event of his own sudden demise. But his mind was doubtless much burdened with the subject. How should he discharge this fresh responsibility which now rested on him? While his boy had lived, the responsibility of his property had had nothing for him but charms. All was to go to the young Harry— all as a matter of course, and it was only necessary for him to take care that every acre should descend to his heir, not only unimpaired by him in value, but also somewhat increased. Provision for his widow and for his girl had already been made before he had ventured on matrimony. Provision sufficient for many girls had fortune so far favoured him. But that an eldest son should have all the family land, one though as many sons should have been given to him as to Priam, and that that one should have it unencumbered, as he had had it from his father, this was to him the very law of his being. And he would have taught that son, had already begun to teach him when the great blow came, that all this was to be given to him, not that he might put it into his own belly, or wear it on his own back, or even spend it as he might list himself, but that he might so live as to do his part in maintaining that order of gentlehood in England, by which England had become, so thought Sir Harry, the proudest and the greatest and the justest of nations. But now he had no son, and yet the duty remained to him of maintaining his order. It would perhaps have been better for him, it would certainly have been easier, had some settlement or family entail fixed all things for him. Those who knew him well personally, but did not know the affairs of his family, declared among themselves that Sir Harry would take care that the property went with a title. A marriage might be arranged— there could be nothing to object to a marriage between second cousins. At any rate, Sir Harry Hotspur was certainly not the man to separate the property from the title. 
But they who knew the family, and especially that branch of the family from which George Hotspur came, declared that Sir Harry would never give his daughter to such a one as was his cousin. And if not his daughter, then neither would he give to such a scapegrace, either Humblethwaite in Cumberland or Scarabee in Durham. There did exist a party who said that Sir Harry would divide the property, but they who held such an opinion certainly knew very little of Sir Harry's social or political tenets. Any such division was the one thing which he surely would not effect. When twelve months had passed after the death of Sir Harry's son, George Hotspur had been at Humblethwaite and had gone, and Sir Harry's will had been made. He'd left everything to his daughter, and had only stipulated that her husband, should she marry, should take the name of Hotspur. He had decided that should his daughter, as was probable, marry within his lifetime, he could then make what settlements he pleased, even to the changing of the tenor of his will, should he think fit to change it. Should he die and leave her still a spinster, he would trust to her in everything. Not being a man of mystery, he told his...